Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 21 of the UK's only Freedom of Information podcast. I'm Ibrahim Hassan. In the three months up to the end of January 2010, the Information Commissioner published 154 decisions, whilst the Information Tribunal published 17. I'm here to guide you through some of these. In this episode, amongst others, we'll be discussing decisions involving redaction costs when dealing with FOI requests, another use of the ministerial veto, Section 36 and the opinion of the qualified person, the tax status of a conservative peer, disclosure of information about the deceased, when the breach of confidence exemption can be invoked, and disclosure of commercially sensitive information. Before we go on to discuss these decisions, let's just examine some interesting recent developments in the world of freedom of information. On Monday the 18th of January 2010, the Information Tribunal ceased to exist. All its work has been transferred to the new General Regulatory Chamber. The transfer is to be effected in accordance with the Transfer of Functions Order 2010. From the 18th of January, all Freedom of Information Act appeals will be heard either in the First Tier Tribunal, Information Rights, or in the Upper Tribunal. The question as to where each particular appeal will be heard will be determined by two new sets of tribunal rules, as well as practice directions. These will apply to all new appeals which are commenced on or after the 18th of January. In respect of appeals commenced prior to this date, the tribunal will have the discretion as to whether to apply the old rules or the new rules or a combination of the two. The Information Commissioner has produced specific guidance for public authorities on how to conduct internal reviews of FOI decisions. The recommended period of time for completing a review is 20 working days, or 40 working days in exceptional cases. In no instance should the 40-day limit be exceeded. The Commissioner has emphasised this recently by issuing two practice recommendations, one to the UK Border Agency and the other one to Cardiff County Council. Both organisations were found to have repeatedly failed to comply with the timescales for responding to requests for internal reviews. The Commissioner was also concerned by the manner in which the Council's requests for review were logged and tracked, particularly after it admitted that statistics held were inaccurate. Failure to comply with the practice recommendations may lead to an enforcement notice being served or an adverse comment being recorded in a report to Parliament by the Commissioner. Section 12 of the Freedom of Information Act and the Freedom of Information Fees Regulations mean that when a public authority wishes to refuse a request on grounds that to comply with it would be over the appropriate limit, it can only take account of the costs in doing one or more of the following four things calculated at the rate of £25 per hour. Those four things are determining whether it holds the information, locating the information, retrieving the information and extracting the information from a document containing it. In Mr John Jenkins and the Information Commissioner and DEFRA, dated the 2nd of November 2007, the question before the tribunal was whether extracting the information includes the time it takes for the public authority to redact exempt information from a document before disclosure of the rest. The tribunal agreed with the commissioner that such an act of deletion was not extraction within the meaning of the regulations and so not an allowable cost for the purpose of calculating whether the appropriate limit has been reached. However, the tribunal did observe that the point was not free from doubt. 
Well, a recent decision by a differently constituted information tribunal has dispelled this doubt. In Chief Constable of South Yorkshire and the Information Commissioner dated the 14th of December, the tribunal came to the same conclusion, having considered points of both statutory construction and matters of principle. Section 35 allows information to be withheld if it relates to, amongst other things, the formulation or development of government policy. It's a class-based exemption, which means that the public authority, usually a government department, does not have to show that there would be any prejudice to the formulation or development of government policy if the information was disclosed. However, prejudice is relevant when applying the public interest test. Section 35 has been the subject of two decisions which have gone on to be vetoed by the government using its powers under Section 53 of the Act. In Cabinet Office and Dr Christopher Lamb and the Information Commissioner, dated the 27th of January 2009, the Tribunal decided to uphold the ruling by the Information Commissioner that minutes of Cabinet meetings from 2003 should be released. These refer to minutes that discuss the Attorney General's legal advice about the war in Iraq. On the 24th of February 2009, the Lord Chancellor, Jack Straw, issued the first ever ministerial veto under Section 53. The Commissioner said at the time, anything other than exceptional use of the veto would threaten to undermine much of the progress towards greater openness and transparency in government since the Freedom of Information Act came into force. Unfortunately, it seems as though these words have fallen on deaf ears. On the 10th of December 2009, Jack Straw announced that he was exercising his powers of veto for a second time. The new veto has been issued in respect of a decision of the Information Commissioner involving the Cabinet Office, dated the 23rd of June 2009, where the Commissioner required disclosure of minutes of the Cabinet Ministerial Committee on devolution to Scotland and Wales and the English regions in 1997. Explaining his action, Mr Straw stated that disclosure of the information would have put the Convention of Collective Cabinet Responsibility at serious risk of harm. He also stated that he considered the circumstances of the case to be exceptional. Interestingly, these are the same reasons given by him when exercising the veto for the first time. The effect of the veto is that the decision notice ceases to have effect. Therefore, the appeal against the Commissioner's decision, which was due to be heard by the Tribunal at the end of January, will now be aborted. The Commissioner has expressed regret and concern that the veto was issued in circumstances where the Tribunal had yet to adjudicate on the Cabinet Officer's appeal. Unlike the Iraq Minutes case, where the veto was issued after the Tribunal's decision. The Commissioner will in due course issue a report to Parliament on the subject. Many decisions of the Tribunal have considered the controversial question of whether public authorities can rely on exemptions which have been claimed for the first time before the Commissioner or before the Tribunal. Lately it has had to decide on the issue of late reliance in respect of the Section 36 exemption where disclosure would inhibit free and frank advice, deliberations or would otherwise prejudice the effective conduct of public affairs. Unlike other exemptions, Section 36 is only engaged where an opinion has been given by the qualified person. This is usually a minister for a government department or, in respect of other bodies, the head of the organisation. The question arises as to whether the qualified person must have given his or her opinion prior to the refusal notice being served in order for Section 36 to be engaged. 
In the case of Roberts and the Information Commissioner dated the 20th of November, the Tribunal held that because information could only be withheld under Section 36 if it was exempt at the time of the request, it followed that an opinion which was reached after the refusal notice was sent out could not constitute a valid opinion for the purposes of Section 36. In the light of this decision, public authorities should aim to ensure that wherever possible any Section 36 opinion is obtained prior to the release of the refusal notice. In University of Lancashire and the Information Commissioner dated the 18th of December, the Tribunal highlighted the degree of rigour which must be applied when the relevant qualified person is seeking to formulate an opinion which engages Section 36. It also stated that the public authority must itself provide evidence that the person who reached the relevant opinion was a qualified person for the purposes of Section 36. Section 38 provides that information is exempt if its disclosure would or would be likely to endanger the physical or mental health or safety of any individual. It's a qualified exemption and so requires consideration of the public interest test. The decision involving the Youth Justice Board, dated the 10th of December, concerned an FOI request for details from the Physical Control in Care Prison Service Manual. This is the manual used to train staff in secure training centres to restrain young people. The board refused to release some details, maintaining that disclosing the material would be likely to prejudice the security of prisons, and so exempt under Section 31, and put the health and safety of young people and staff within secure training centres at risk, and so exempt under Section 38. It believed that this risk would arise through young people within secure training centres learning the restraint techniques detailed within the withheld information and applying this knowledge to counteract these techniques. This could also lead to other young people and staff being injured. The Commissioner agreed that both exemptions were engaged. However, given the level of debate and controversy surrounding the use of physical restraint on young people, on both legal and technical grounds, and the evidence that these techniques can result in physical harm, he decided that there is a strong public interest in releasing the manual in full. In his view, disclosure may also lead to these techniques being subjected to more public scrutiny and may result in changes to these techniques with the aim of better protecting young people's health and safety. As a director of a training company, I have often wondered whether a public authority should release the names of staff attending a training course. The answer to this question was considered by the Information Commissioner in a decision involving Bolton Council dated the 17th of December. The complainant requested the names of individuals from the Council who attended common purpose courses. The Council explained that in its view they were exempt by virtue of Section 40 as disclosure would contravene the data protection principles. It explained that its policy was to release Chief Officer's information but not to release that of less senior individuals unless their name is already in the public domain and if it would be fair in all the circumstances to release the information. The Commissioner found that Section 40 had been applied incorrectly to four of the seven names requested. One of the main reasons for coming to this conclusion was that these four did not, when consulted by the Council, strongly object to their names being disclosed. He also took account of the seniority of those individuals, the legitimate interests of the public, and the fact that the data protection policy of the organisation running the course would enable the same information to be released to the public. 
The tax status of the Conservative Party's major donor and deputy chairman, Lord Ashcroft, has been the subject of much controversy and media headlines over the past few years. Lord Ashcroft gave an undertaking to the government in March 2000 to end his status as a tax exile or a non-dom when he was awarded a life peerage. This has now been the subject of an FY request to the Cabinet Office by Labour MP. In a decision involving the Cabinet Office dated the 28th of January, Gordon Prentice MP requested disclosure of the form in which the undertaking by Lord Ashcroft was given and the identity of the person to whom it was given. The Cabinet Office confirmed that it held the information but determined that it should be withheld in reliance of the exemptions contained in Section 37, the conferring of honours, Section 40, personal data, and Section 41, breach of confidence. All these exemptions require consideration of the public interest test. The Commissioner decided that the Cabinet Office was wrong to rely on the exemptions. He ruled that there was a legitimate public interest in knowing whether Lord Ashcroft has actually fulfilled the undertaking. The Commissioner said that the public interest in transparency in the honours system outweighed the Cabinet Office's claim that disclosure would be unwarranted and prejudicial to the rights and legitimate interests of Lord Ashcroft. This is an interesting case, not just because of its political angle in the year of an election, but because the Commissioner has ruled that personal data is disclosable under FOI to a third party, even though the same information would not be disclosed to Lord Ashcroft, even if he made a subject access request under Section 7 of the Data Protection Act. This is due to the exemption from subject access for personal data processed for the purpose of conferring by the Crown of any honour. Section 41, which exempts information from disclosure where it would lead to an actionable breach of confidence, has been the subject of many decisions by the Information Tribunal. The latest one involves the Higher Education Funding Council and is dated the 13th of January 2010. The Council, a statutory body for the administration of higher education funding, relied on this exemption in refusing to disclose information relating to the state of the buildings at higher education institutions that contributed to the Council's database. The Commissioner decided Section 41 was not engaged. The Tribunal agreed, addressing a number of issues, the most important of which is on the meaning of the word actionable within the exemption. Section 41 can only be claimed where disclosure would lead to an actionable breach of confidence. Does actionable in this context denote a claim that is likely to succeed on the balance of probabilities or merely a claim that is properly arguable? The tribunal considered the wording in section 41 to be ambiguous and so turned to Hansard. In the words of the Freedom of Information Bill sponsor, Lord Falconer, actionable, for section 41 purposes, means being able to go to court and win. Therefore, public authorities wishing to rely on the Section 41 exemption should note that a merely arguable potential for breach of confidence will not be enough to engage the exemption. When it comes to considering requests for information about the deceased, two important recent decisions of the Information Commissioner have emphasised the need to check whether the requester is the deceased's appointed personal representative. If they're not, then the disclosure could be an actionable breach of confidence and so the Section 41 exemption will apply. In a decision involving Coventry City Council dated the 21st of December, Coventry Law Centre, acting on behalf of the complainant, made an information request for copies of social services files relating to the complainant and her husband, who was deceased. 
the council considered that the request for the complainant's file was a subject access request and so provided the information under Section 7 of the Data Protection Act. However, it refused to provide any information on the complainant's husband because it considered that this information was exempt under Section 41 that disclosure would be an actionable breach of confidence. The Commissioner found that both exemptions had been correctly applied. With regard to Section 41, he considered that the Council owed a duty of confidence to the deceased, which would be capable of surviving the complainant's husband's death, even though it appeared that there may not have been any personal representative appointed to manage his affairs. This is because there's always the possibility that a personal representative could be appointed following the disclosure and could take action against the Council for a breach of confidence. The fact that the complainant was the wife of the deceased was immaterial, as she had never applied to become the personal representative upon his death. A similar decision was reached by the Information Commissioner when a request was made for the social services records of a deceased service user to Leicestershire County Council. In this decision, dated the 22nd of December, the Commissioner relied on the fact that the complainant had stated that both her and her brother were appointed as personal representatives of the deceased. The complainant's brother had objected, though, to the disclosure of information to her. The Commissioner therefore ruled that Section 41 applied because the complainant's brother or any other personal representative that may be appointed in the future could bring a claim against the Council for breach of confidence. These cases emphasise the importance of public authorities checking the status of the applicant and asking whether he or she is really the personal representative of the deceased whose information is being requested. If he or she is not the personal representative, then, even though they may be close family, any disclosure could lead to the public authority being sued by the personal representatives for breach of confidence. In a recent decision, the Information Tribunal considered the question of whether freedom of information can be used to gain access to university course materials. In University of Lancashire and the Information Commissioner dated the 18th of December, it had to balance the commercial interests of the university with important matters of public interest in knowing what is being taught at a publicly funded institution. The university had earlier refused a request for disclosure of course materials relating to a BSc degree in homeopathy. As well as Section 36, which we discussed earlier, the university had claimed the Section 43 exemption that disclosure of the course materials would damage its commercial interests. At first instance, the Information Commissioner held that the university should have disclosed the course materials except certain elements, and particularly empirical case studies, which could be withheld under Section 41, where disclosure would lead to an actionable breach of confidence. The Tribunal agreed with the Commissioner and dismissed the university's appeal. It had argued before the Tribunal that the course materials were exempt from disclosure because they contained a significant amount of third-party copyright information and disclosure of that material would discourage third parties from contributing to course materials in the future. The Tribunal rejected these arguments, stating that disclosure of information under FOI would not in any way have diluted any copyright enjoyed by third parties and there was, in any event, no sufficient evidence before the Tribunal to substantiate the University's case that disclosure of the copyright material would have an alienating effect on third-party contributions. 
The tribunal also found that there were strong public interests in members of the public being able to test the educational value of publicly funded degree courses and, particularly in accessing information relating to a homeopathy degree, which was a controversial subject. This is an important case which will have a big impact on universities seeking to restrict access to educational resources for various reasons. It also emphasises that copyright in itself cannot be used to withhold information under FOI. An earlier decision by the Information Commissioner involving the Student Loans Company came to the same conclusion and we discussed this in episode 17 of this FOI podcast. That concludes episode 21 of the UK's only Freedom of Information podcast. The next one will be in May. Before then, you can always catch up on the latest developments by attending one of my Freedom of Information update workshops. More details at www.actnow.org.uk. Don't forget, ActNow Training is now one of the UK's leading providers of courses leading to the ISEB Certificate in Freedom of Information. Courses are held in Manchester, Edinburgh and London throughout the year. If you'd like to know more, please email us at info at actnow.org.uk. ActNow Training also offers an FOI helpline service. This is designed to supplement your internal FOI expertise by acting as a sounding board or signpost service for you to discuss your freedom of information as well as your EIR requests and possible responses. Through the helpline, I'll be available to guide you through the relevant area of law, discuss possible exemptions and how to deal with any complaints. At a time of increasing pressure on public sector budgets, the ActNow FOI helpline is the most cost-effective solution for your FOI problems. Thank you very much for listening. Until the next time, goodbye 